you prepare to hear God's word, let's pause to pray. God, thank you so much for this time now where we approach your word. But oftentimes we come here with so many other competing voices in our hearts and in our minds. And I pray that for now you might quiet those so that we can hear your voice alone and learn of its truth and grace for us. So speak now, for we are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just our first scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, and it's the moment on the cross, and the only moment in the Gospels when Jesus offers the words about forgiveness. So I pray you pay attention to those as you hear this first reading. reading from Luke chapter 23 verses 33 through 49. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Then they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are a king of the Jews, save yourself. But there was an inscription over him, There is the king of, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanging there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the others revoked him, saying, Do not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of commendation. And we indicate have been condemned justly. For we are not getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, when the sun's light faded, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus cried out with a loud cry, saying, Father, into your hands I condemned my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. When the sentimentation saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, Certainly, this man was innocent, and that all the crowds who have gathered there for this spectacle saw what had taken place, then returned home, beating their breasts. But all of his acquaintances, including the women who had followed him there from Galilee, stood at a distance, watching these things. Word of the Lord. So our second scripture passage comes from Psalm 51, but I just want to say a word about the context of where we're at in terms of sermon series here at Linwood, and also a word about Psalm 51. Right now, we're in a, um, a moment of 
working through uh, what God promises to us in baptism, the things that God says to us. And baptism is one of two sacraments. Uh, first, baptism, which is entrance into the people of God, and then also communion, the feast of God's people. The sacrament of baptism is what we're focusing on now. And we learned last week that sacrament, um, that it can be described as a visible sign of an invisible grace. A visible sign of an invisible grace, which is printed there in your bulletin, right underneath where it says sermon. And I find that such a beautiful description of what it is, because they really are these tangible things that God gives us to communicate something that we cannot see. Just as a hug, when you wrap your arms around somebody, you're trying to communicate that feeling, that invisible, intangible thing that is nonetheless there. You're trying to communicate, I love you, I have this affection towards you, I'm going to miss you. When you do that, it's a, it's, a, it's a sign of what's going on within, and it lets the other person know that invisible thing that they cannot see, but yet they can feel. In the same way, God reaches out to us with these sacraments, wrapping us in God's own arms, embracing us, saying, I love you, and saying to us many things. God embraces us, and we learned last week that God says, you are my son, you are my daughter, you are part of my family, and you belong here. That's the first promise, the first embrace that we learned about God last week. And this week, we're going to learn about God's declaration, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. And above all, what I want you to walk out these doors with is a deep sense that God says that over you. And whatever past thing that you might bring in here, of failure or sin or having missed the mark, that that doesn't define you. But you're defined by God's grace and God saying, you are forgiven. So we'll jump into this and dive into it by reading Psalm 51, which is a psalm of confession written by a guy named David. David was one of God's people. David was not just one of God's people, but also the king of God's people at a particular time. And he was anointed and appointed by God to lead God's people. He had a lot of responsibility. God loved him and the people loved David. He did many good things. But David also fell short. He, in, and the reason why I'm telling this is because this psalm is a moment of confession after he had fallen short. After he had saw a woman bathing on a roof named Bathsheba and told his guards to um, go and get her so that he would come, she would come to his palace and spend the night. And as a result of that, Bathsheba became pregnant. And David decided to try to cover this up by going getting Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, from the army and bringing him home and saying, hey, Uriah, you should go and stay with your wife. But Uriah was a faithful and good man and said, I will not go and spend my time with my wife until this battle is over. And so David was kind of furious about this and orchestrated a way of getting rid of Uriah anyway. And the list of what David doing wrong, using his power to put a woman in that place, was manipulative and wrong and abusive. What he did to Uriah was wrong as well. And 
and the consequences, and this thing is snowballing out of control until one of God's prophets, Nathan, confronts David and says, look, you've done this wrong and it is causing so much damage. And it's affecting not just the lives of Bathsheba and this man Uriah, but it's also calling into question God's favor of David and therefore God's people. And so the favor of these people as God's people is brought into question by what David has done. And when Nathan confronts him about this, he recognizes it. And he realizes the consequences of his sin. And he becomes stuck. And he sees the collateral damage all around him. And so he offers this wholehearted, whole-minded, whole-souled prayer to God in Psalm 51. And the reason why I think it's important for us is because the shape of this prayer can be the shape of, of how we might express to God where we're at when we're stuck. And we're seeing parts of our lives fall all around us and crumble and we're bearing the weight of consequences for our actions. It's a prayer at, in which he states about God's graciousness and asking God to forgive and this posture of hopefulness that God might do that. And it might exhibit the same posture and the same sentiment of hopefulness that we have, that God might ultimately forgive and help us beyond where we're at. So let's listen to Psalm 51 now. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, and according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being, and so teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. But restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain in me a willing spirit. And then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from bloodshed, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your deliverance. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you have no delight in sacrifice. And if I were to offer a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. 
the sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So do good to Zion in your good pleasure and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. It is a long prayer of confession and perhaps raises many, many questions, many things within you. But I think the Psalms particularly in scripture is this thing that we carry with us to give us words to say when we don't have them for ourselves and we don't know what to pray. And this, this Psalm has particularly been one that's been important to me over the years and I pray that you might come back to it if ever you're lost and stuck and don't know how to uh, pray or speak words to God. I pray that these can be words for you. I wanna just tell a story that gets at this way that we might be stuck and unable to see a way forward and relates to this being stuck in sin. It's a story that's called um, what I still haven't fa- forgiven myself for. It's a story about two brothers and an incident that happens between them. It starts like this. He forgave me immediately, almost immediately. At first, he looked at the broken bottle on the pavement, and then he looked at me. I was also staring down at the smashed glass and the beautiful purple liquid and saying, sorry, repeatedly. Maybe enough sorries would reel everything back in and put the bottle back together. Sorry, Patrick, it slipped. I knew he wouldn't hit me, he never had. But I also knew that I had just confirmed his view of me. I stood there saying nothing as he searched his pockets and pulled out a handful of change. And he counted the money that he had left and then he said in a still voice, we can afford another bottle but not the best stuff this time, but we'll still be able to get another bottle. So we walked back down the hill toward the hardware store and not another word was said. I love the smell of that hardware store, but now all my efforts were concentrated on not crying. Hello boys, said Harold, the store manager, slightly inquisitively. Hello, said Patrick, who was already taller than the shopkeeper. Harold, I'd like to buy another bottle of turpentine. Well, that was quick, Harold laughed. Patrick only said, the cheaper, clearer stuff this time. Okie dokie, Harold said. Harold wasn't someone to question a sale. Patrick didn't let me carry the second bottle back on the way home. He hugged it carefully to himself. 
I'm not even sure he ever let me carry anything else for him again. He forgave me, but never changed his opinion of me. I don't believe I ever really forgave myself. It was my big chance to show my big brother that I could be trusted and that we could do things together, like paint airfix models and play football and chat and hug and that kind of sort of thing. But sometimes when you break the good stuff, you can't buy it back. Sometimes when you break the good stuff, you can't buy it back. It's a haunting last line that has been ringing in me for a couple days now. And I think because, sure, when, when something goes awry and we break something and we can fix it by buying somebody the thing that we had ruined, it goes easier. Maybe there's a little bit of lack of trust somewhere along the line next time, but something that really grabs us is that there are really good and beautiful things that when we break them or when something goes awry or when we fall short and fail, we can't just set it right again. And I think this describes some of the deep pain and conflict around failure and, and sin and, and the things that we've been talking about today. Because there are certain things that, however much we wish and hope, we just can't set it right in the same way that it was before. Just like in our story here. And some of the things that we break or fall short on and fail and often we don't believe can come back are some of the things that we value the most. like breaking trust with somebody. We wish we could go back to the time before when there was that good cohesion and harmony, where there wasn't the suspicion after this of whether trust would be broken. And I imagine there are so many other things, so many other intangible examples that I could give and provide of the ways and things that we wish we could set right again from the past. Perhaps you're already thinking of them and calling them to mind here. And so I don't think I need to go further on that point. But what I would like to say is to just touch on the fact of how when things become broken like this and when we fall short, sometimes we can begin to think and believe that those things and the ways that we fell short and the way that we failed are really just the only true thing about us. And we begin to develop this complex in the way of living out of that. And it dictates our future. Like this, like this morning when I was doing that thing and not clapping right, I was getting so frustrated and it was like dictating. I was like trying to get it right and better and better and it wasn't coming together. <laughs> and rather than just keeping on, had to stop and reset for a moment and just stop altogether. <laughs> and I think that illumines the point that I want to try to make is that in our story for today, we find somebody, Patrick, who might exemplify our experience of falling short in our life. 
that we've done something that we can't set right again and we just can't forgive ourselves for that. And we might continue to always see ourselves in relationship to that person based on that experience of failure. But what if we took a moment to reset? Because ultimately, this is just a story that might capture some part of us, but it's not the story that defines us. We're not stuck being defined by a story like this. We are a story, we are people of a story of grace. We are people of a God who provides his son and himself, the precious thing to himself, as the greatest treasure to come to be with, to live with us, to be among us, and to offer himself as the one sacrifice that makes every wrong thing right. But not just making amends, but making it better. Making it better and good again. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. If nothing else, I hope you hear those words this morning, that the words of forgiveness drip off the lips of God's only Son to you. And I pray those words rest deep within, and you carry them with you wherever you might go today and the days ahead, and wherever you go in this life, and that you are defined by a God who says you are forgiven who releases you from where you're stuck and can make a way forward through the rubble of what's falling down around you. I love the part that Pastor Stacy said in the assurance of forgiveness. I will give you a new heart. I will take from you the heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh, a heart that can feel, a heart that can love, and I will put my own spirit within you. It's such a beautiful way that God is dedicated to us knowing that we're not only forgiven, but that we can make a way forward, or God can make a way forward for us past where we're at. Even if it takes a long time, and perhaps it will, to relearn that we're not defined by any failure, but defined by the forgiveness that's offered to us by God. You are forgiven, and God gives you his son and his spirit to lead you on a journey to make you into someone who is beautiful and beyond those failures. And as a community of faith, as a community of faith, each of us is spoken that good thing. And so it means that we as a people are committed to not only uh, hearing that about ourselves, but also extending that to others as well and working out that forgiveness and reconciliation amongst one another. We are a people marked by the forgiveness of God. And so, may you carry that deep and good truth with you today. Let's pray. God, you speak words that move us beyond our failures. You speak words and say that we are forgiven, and I pray that each one of us, wherever we're at and whatever we, uh, however we come here today, might know that well. Even if we search the, the history of our lives and find things to bring up to 
give us fault for. I pray that those are not the voices that we pay attention to, but we pay attention to your gracious and good voice this morning. And that we continue to learn and know your voice so that we can grow according to its grace. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray.